Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Father-Son Packers podcast, your source for Packers news, notes, and analysis. My name is Tommy. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, my dad, Matt. Dad, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm uh, got the mic facing the correct way now, so we're 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 rolling. <laughs> okay, if we just want to take you behind the curtain. So after last episode, we were talking about. I was like, "Wow, the the audio quality on your mic, Dad. For some reason, like we have the same mic. I was like, for some reason, it's just like a little different than mine. I don't know why." And then he was so apparently, at it. listeners, the mic has the word "back" on it. Well, he was he was looking at it, and then I was looking at it through the video. And I'm like, oh, like, it's weird that I can see, like, dials. Like, it's weird that it has dials on both sides. And then I look at mine. I was like, mine doesn't have dials on both sides. And so I was like, oh, I can see the front, which means he's talking into the back. So hopefully, apologies now, for all those. Now it should be better. Hopefully, apologies for all those technical issues that you might have noticed in past ones. But hopefully, our sound is figured out now. We're, this is what happens when you record without any reading glasses on. We're only 54 episodes in. Don't worry about it. Um, but anyway, we are here today to talk to you a little bit about OTAs, which we got a little bit of a peek at on uh, Tuesday when the uh, media was allowed there. Uh, they started on Monday. We are recording to you now uh, Wednesday night, May 24th. Uh, we'll talk to you a little bit about that. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about a deep dive into the two defensive tackles that the Packers drafted in this draft, Colby Wooden and Carl Brooks. But excited to talk about both of them, do our deep dives for them. Uh, as you might know, we're doing an episode a week over this offseason. Uh, we're still doing our deep dives into all these prospects. We still have to go through Clifford, Carlson, DeBose, Johnson, Valentine, and Lou Nichols. And I believe that is the rest. So we got six left, so three more episodes of those deep dives to go. Uh, maybe two. We'll see how we're feeling maybe about how, how we're doing those seventh-round picks. But so come listen to those. If you want to hear about previous prospects, the deep dives into those are just an episode or two before. So go check those out. We've done all the other ones already. Um, beyond that, uh, we're going to just be coming to you here. Uh, episode a week and if you like what you hear come give us a follow on twitter at father son packer we tweet out when we have new episodes pieces of news information articles we find interesting cut-ups we find interesting etc etc so come give us a follow there and then subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice you can find us on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify etc etc we even do all our episodes on youtube as well if you want to subscribe to us there it would really help our numbers uh but dad should we get this underway we're going to hit some news first and yeah, that, there's some real, there's some uh, exciting news. We got some real news before we even get to the OTAs. The 2025 NFL Draft is coming to Green Bay, Wisconsin. How exciting is that? It's very exciting. It's going to be like a giant street party, um, all yeah. over, all over the, the area around the stadium. You know, um, Title Town and wherever else is going to be filling people up. It's going to be, you know, street barbecuing and. Everyone Fans out on their lawns. Crowds and it's gonna it's gonna be great, and I'm just so excited. It'll be April, so it could be really nice weather, or it could be a snowstorm. You know, one <laughs> or the other. Um, I'm really excited. I just wanted to first give a shout out to Mark Murphy, Packers president. This has kind of been something he has been I think this working has been kind towards. of his baby for a little while now. It's been his life's work, and he will be set to retire. I think uh, right after it that happens. year. Yeah, yeah. It's like 2025 is when he sort of times out. Yeah, and so this has kind of been his life's work, and it's good for him uh, to kind of see this through to the end. He's been kind of grinding away at the league office for a little while. I'm sure he's just been wearing them down over time trying to get them to accept <laughs> Did somebody else say, just give him 
the draft already, so he stops calling me. Yeah, I think he pretty much just wore him down because he's they've put their name in the hat almost every year now. Um, and then they uh, spoke to him in a bit of a one-on-one interview, and he also wanted to give a shout-out to recently passed um, executive committee member and Packers treasurer Mark McMullen, who apparently did a lot of work to get this done. Um and so just he wanted to shout at him specifically. He passed back in February, I guess. And so might as well pass that name along since it's probably someone that would normally get caught up in the shuffle otherwise. But in, in memory of him, it sounds like it was his life's work as well. Dad, what were your initial reactions to the, the draft being in Green Bay? I, I It's exciting. I'm a little curious about the logistics, but it's exciting is the main thing. Yeah, it is. It's, it's going to be kind of fun. It's going to be, you know, it's a football town. And so people are going to show up and party, you know, and, what, you know, who, if people are whining about they're not getting the amenities they want, you know, who cares? They'll figure it out. I'm sure the, <laughs> it, it, the, people, league, people who, the league would not give it to Green Bay if they thought that they weren't going to be right. able to handle the logistics of it. And, and, the, and the NFL draft, the people who show up for the draft in droves, those are the real junkies. Yeah, you know, and who just kind of love football, and they dress up, and they put on their costumes and their paint. You see them there, and if you watch the draft, yeah, those are the kind of people who are going to love being in Green Bay near Lambeau and having like this whole street festival all around football there. Yep, just gotta hope the weather holds out. I think is the biggest thing, but I think the rest is going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, a few snowflakes would make it perfect. Well, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago when it was in Minnesota. People were complaining about how cold it was, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, but it, it, so it could be chilly. It could be snow. It's not going to be, you know, January or February where it could be, you know, yeah. 10 below. That would that would probably not fly. They so wouldn't that's do it. Why, that's, why, that's why they're not going to have a Super Bowl there. Exactly. It's a shame, but that is why. But anyway, that's the big piece of news. Beyond that, Dad, though, let's go into a quick breakdown of OTAs. Yeah, a lot of stuff. A, a lot of news came out during the OTAs. Uh, open to the the media yesterday on the on Tuesday. Um, Let's, and we uh, were we we thank you, media members, for giving us updates. Oh yeah, shout out Matt Schneiman, Andy Herman, Wes Hodkowitz, Mike Spofford, um, Ryan uh, Wood, etc. Rob et Demovsky. I'm sure there's a bunch that I'm forgetting, but shout out all of them tweeting through everything that's going on it's i always look forward to the open media sessions and i'm just i'm reloading i'm refreshing twitter every every 10 seconds just like okay what was the next play all right what was the next play okay what happened on the next play i don't know i'm just a junkie for it all but dad we got some stuff here some news i think the first thing to start with is attendance who was there and who was not there remember these are optional that's what the o stands for so no one is required to be there some people get bonuses for being there um but you know, players don't come. They don't have to. It is what it is. Um, but players that were not present uh, were David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, J.R. Alexander, Rasul Douglas, Jonathan Garvin, Dallin Levitt, Preston Smith, and these were per um, Rob Domofsky, um, along with note that uh, Levitt, Bakhtiari, Jenkins, and Preston have been there for other parts of the offseason, um, but just were not there on Tuesday, I guess. Um so, you know, a lot of the vets didn't come. A lot of this is like initial installs of the offense and defense. So stuff that they probably already know. Uh, other vets were there, um, like Kenny Clark and Aaron Jones. Um, but like we said, optional, they don't need to be there. Um, so those are the main attendance things. And then unfortunately, always got to talk about injuries this time of year, dad. Yep. And so 
the two guys who the two big injuries, um, Rashawn Gary and uh, Eric Stokes, they were there rehabbing on the side, and we got some news finally about Stokes' injury. They because uh, it was originally announced as a combination knee and ankle injury, and then we didn't hear anything more about what exactly it was and how long it takes. So he he spoke to the media. He said he had he suffered a meniscus tear. And a Lisfranc injury. One thing I miss is whether it was both on the same leg or not. Um, but both, so they did surgery for both of them at once uh, in November and put a plate in his foot for the Lisfranc injury. And that he was in a wheelchair until like January, yeah. mid, mid-January, after, I think after the season ended. Because it's probably one of those where they put the plate in your foot and having had some foot surgery, there's a time period where you can't put any pressure or like flex it at yeah. all. And you um, said so you that's probably what's going on. And you said you weren't sure if it was the same leg. I wasn't entirely sure if the plate was still in there, um, if that's something that he would have had it taken out, or if it's a plate that's permanent. A plate is, is probably permanent, as opposed to a pin. Uh, it's probably a permanent plate. Yeah, but we don't know as something so that As opposed wasn't. to the bones being pinned as a plate, it's most likely permanent. But unclear. Uh, it wasn't really clear based on the, the way the question was answered, yeah. at least. But it is good to at least get some... News on Stokes, he was warming up a little bit with the team. I don't know if yeah, you saw he those was videos. Doing a little twist jumping and spinning Walking and he around. said he just started running two week like two or three weeks ago. Yeah, it was a very major injury. And we knew that because we hadn't heard anything. So it is nice to at least get some news on it. Liz Franks are generally very tricky. It can be hard to get back your full speed. Um, and Stokes being a player that relies a lot on the speed, that it can be a bit worrisome. But, you know, hoping for the best for him. Excited that he's back out on the field, at least moving around. He's not really practicing, but he's moving around. Um, but then on to Rashawn yeah. Gary. Well, I just want to say oh, that sorry. he's also getting some advice from uh, Patrick Taylor. Yes. Um, who had the same injury his final year at Memphis. He's basically missed that year and took a while before he was able to start um, playing mm-hmm. after he joined the Packers. Yeah, so I think I know the initial reporting was they might have Stokes back by week one. I'm not going to super hold out hope for that. That feels a little hopeful. And, um, and the way they're talking about the lineup uh, in, the, in the in the secondary doesn't sound like they're planning for him to be ready in week one. Let's put exactly. It that way. And then for Gary, uh, he also was not practicing. He was with the the rehab group as well. Um, but sounds like he's at least progressing. Uh, we'll see. The uh, the thing with Gary, though, that was interesting that I heard someone note is that their opening two games are uh, at Soldier Field on that god-awful grass. That, yeah, right. And then at Atlanta. I on think, AstroTurf. On AstroTurf. So yes. are they really going to have him play in either of those games? That was a good point made by... Shoot, and then week three remember. is at Lambeau, and where's, what's, where's week four? Yeah. But that's something to keep in mind. So those two players... Because if he goes on pup, then it's four games. Yeah. And then also not practicing were offensive tackle Gene DeLance, um, offensive lineman Jake Hansen, running back Lou Nichols. Um, they're, they're one of their seventh-round picks. Wide receiver Jeff Cotton. And then also wide receiver Grant DeBose uh, did not practice one of their seventh-round picks. I don't know if you saw that as well. And then, unfortunately, uh, Quay Walker appeared to get some kind of injury during drills and didn't do the 11-on-11. And apparently, Andy Herman said he was limping around quite a bit on the sidelines. So we're hoping that's not anything long-term. 
But he stayed out there and was kind of mirroring, I think, the, as the way it was described. He's like at the end of the field or somewhere like kind of mirroring the play and keeping an eye on it moving around. So yeah, but then it wasn't after, so bad that they sent him inside. But after that, they, Andy said he was limping around quite a bit on the sidelines. So yeah, we'll yeah. see if maybe he's just trying to make it through it. But, Dad, some interesting roster notes. Let's move off the kind of downer side and talk a little bit about some interesting uh, things we found with in terms of lineups that they were using, uh, the first of which is on the offensive line where – you know, Bakhtiari and Elton were not there, but they went Josh Nyman at left tackle, Royce Newman at left guard, Josh Myers at center, John Runyon Jr. at right guard, and Zach Tom at right tackle. And you brought up something very interesting that I took some convincing on, but I now agree with. Right. So I saw that, and it made me think that the plan right now, so this is always a snapshot, things can change, is that Tom is ahead of Josh at right tackle. And that Yash is filling in at left tackle for Bakhtiari because Yash is like the swing tackler or one further down on the totem pole. And they're having players stay in their primary positions when possible. So they had um, Runyon at right guard, Myers at center. Royce Newman is obviously the backup in the interior. And so he went in at Jenkins' spot where Jenkins isn't here. So I think for now, it, it's looking like for the right tackle spot, Tom is ahead of Nyman. Yeah, and I initially and, pushed back on this because I was like, oh, they're probably just going with the lineup that like they would trot out if they had these players. But then you pointed out that, hey, with Royce Newman at left guard, like if this was if they were going with the lineup that they would go with if these were the only five they had, they would almost certainly go Runyon at left guard and then Newman at right guard since they have more experience there. They both played and they, starting And when they played there. together, they did that exactly. before, the two of them. And so the fact that Runyon is staying at right guard makes it seem like they're just getting them reps where they would play if Bakhtiari and Elton were there. And so that makes you think that Tom is at right tackle because that's where he would be playing if Elton and Bakhtiari were there, which is exciting because I think we saw a lot from Tom. Um, me personally, I don't know if you saw the clips of him during OTAs from Tuesday. I thought he looked a little bigger. I thought he had looked like he put on some good weight. I saw you tweet that, and I think I saw somebody agree with your comment on that. And I love when people agree with me. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> Could do that all day. Exactly. I like any comment that agrees with me. Uh, but yeah, so that's for the offensive line. Um, beyond that, um, in 11 on 11 drills for the red zone, they repped red zone a lot. Um, they started in 12 personnel uh, per Andy Herman um, with DeGuara at tight end. And then, oh, did they start at 21? I could have sworn they started at 12. No, they. so what I saw from Andy Herman is that, at least for the 11 on 11s, the start the lineup he gave was Jones and Dylan both in with just the one tight end Deguara and then Watson and Dobbs. I think there may have been some earlier huh. in the practice lineups that were in twelve personnel where they had okay. Deguara and Musgrave. But when they got to the eleven and elevens, this is what um, Andy Herman uh, um, tweeted as. Ah, lineup. okay, because that was that was one that I had thought I had seen that they started in twelve personnel with Musgrave and Deguara. Yeah, and, and they may have done that earlier in the practice, just not in the 11-on-11s. Yes, fair enough. And then the defense I'm making, um, I'm making stuff up. started in nickel in team drills with Clark and Slayton inside, Enigbari and Hollins at edge, so no Lucas Van Ness with the ones yet. Um, McDuffie in for Quay Walker next to Campbell. Um, and then Keandre Thomas, Corey Ballantyne at outside corners with um, Jair and Rasul not being there, and then Keyshawn Nixon starting in the slot. And then at safety... Um, Darnell Savage and Rudy Ford uh, got the um, nod at safety, at least to start with the ones. Dad, what do you think about that call? I'm not surprised that they would at least start here since Ford 
started some games of safety for them last year. Knows the so that would already. be the, the right. He's in the system. He knows it. We'll see how it goes because even though he's had you know snaps with Green Bay as safety, there are other players they've added who have more starting safety experience. Yeah, in in Owens especially having been the starter for an entire seventeen game season, and even uh, more has had some uh, um, snaps at safety though. Moore's played after safety his, in the Super Bowl. So yeah, and but though after his injury, yeah, he is more. Of he's a special been team. playing more special teams last year anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll, I'm also not surprised. I thought Ford was pretty good when he played safety last year. I didn't think he was anything amazing, but he's at least a pretty good tackler. Which you can't. Like, yeah. They need at least one pretty good tackler at safety, please. At least one. Well, I think would be nice. Owens is a good tackler. That's true. If that I recall, true. when I was yes. when we looked at the Adam, he's a good tackler. He, he graded out quite well as a tackler last year for the Texans. And, yeah. then, and then we'll see what um, um, Anthony Johnson Jr. can uh, provide. Yeah. Didn't hear much from him. Speaking of rookies, uh, no, so I'm looking. I'm being, watch, thinking about that, and yeah. I don't know if I got a, saw a tweet that mentioned him. Yes, but rookie watch at the OTAs. Um, some pieces of note: uh, Van Ness looking good versus the twos. Um, Jaden Reed got the starting snaps in the slot, although he did have a fumble. Um, but otherwise, I, th- I heard he looked pretty good. It seems. Um, Wicks had a nice deep grab from Jordan Love, uh, but did have LaFleur chastise him for not finishing a play at one point, which is what it is. They're rookies. They're going to make rookie mistakes. Yeah, uh, That deep grab was like a 55-yard bomb yeah. from from Love. Yeah, I think that was against air. I don't think it, that it was, was a yeah, one It was not an 11-11, so it was just on air. Um, I don't think they really do 1v1s in um, practice at OT. Maybe they're really. not doing 1v1s. Maybe they're just doing the uh, versus air and then uh, 11-11s. Musgrave got the starting snaps at tight end. Uh, Colby Wooden got some work rotating in with the ones. And then Sean Clifford is currently third on the depth chart with Danny Etling being second. Um, the other thing out of OTAs is Jordan Love. Uh, it sounds like he kind of started a little slow, but then kind of worked his way into it. They did a lot of off script stuff. It seems like mostly it was a pretty nondescript practice from him. Some good, some bad. A uh, couple misses, couple drops. You know, nothing really to glean other than that. He looked okay. Had some good throws, had some bad throws. It's just OTAs. Yeah. Most of these guys he's never really thrown to before, you know. Yeah, the, the one thing I'd say, so it sounded like he started off kind of rough when they got to the the, uh, the passing plays against the defense with uh, some batted balls, some off-target throws, some questionable decisions, but got better as the practice went on and yeah. sounded like he did quite well in the uh, the 10-yard and in um, – Drills, yes. Through through multiple touchdowns, people talk about their like really nice throws, fitting into tight windows. Um, so that part was encouraging. At least that he finished strong. Yeah, he had like three or four passes batted down, which is obviously something you got to work on. Yes, but... somebody just said that uh, um, T.J. Slayton pulled a Dikembe Mutombo on him. Yep. Um, and then some slight roster moves. Uh, Packers sign rookie wide receiver Jadakiss Bonds from Hampton. Um, kind of a bigger body receiver and drop tight end uh, Nick Gugamos. And then they also signed running back Emmanuel Wilson and cut kicker Parker White. So only uh, Anders Carlson left on the roster at kicker. Kind of seems like they're leaning towards him for the job. Um, but, yeah, those roster moves. Dad, anything else out of OTAs you want to touch on, or should we get into these deep dives on Wooden and Brooks? I think that's the main thing. You know, it's uh, we, we I, I would say the things you can glean is – we got a little bit of a sign of um, 
maybe their ideas at least at the moment for the for some of the lineups. And the rookies are getting worked in already. So for some of them anyway. We get here that's you know, some of them are making plays. So Yeah. That but that's anyway, encouraging. Speaking of one of those rookies that is getting worked into lineups, like we said, Wooden getting some reps with the ones. Let's talk a little bit about Colby Wooden, the Packers fourth round pick. We're doing deep dives into him and Carl Brooks today, but let's start with Wooden. So Colby Wooden, defensive tackle slash kind of edge out of Auburn. Pick 116, fourth round in this year's NFL draft. 22 and a half years old. And let's start a little bit with our initial reactions. Dad, what did you think when they made this pick? So when they made it, I was like, okay, I I was expecting a defensive tackle somewhere between rounds two and four, um, depending on how – how everything else went 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 down, how many picks they actually ended up with, depending on how much how many trades they made. And so from that perspective, I wasn't that surprised. Now, Wooden personally was not a player I had been following that much. Um, so that, that, that bit of it, in terms of which defensive lineman they picked, um, caught me a little off guard. And there are some that, that I liked had gone just shortly before, like... Um, Jacqueline Roy, I think, was one that you were a little... Well, no, on. Roy was still available, which oh, is interesting okay. that they did not pick Roy, even though they had him in for a visit when uh, when he was still there. But the guy from uh, Wisconsin... Oh, I'm not sure which one. Because uh, um, you said that, and my mind immediately went Benton, and I can't kick Benton now. And I know it's not Benton. <laughs> but anyway... No, it's Keanu. No, yeah, yeah. No, he went Ke- in the second. Ke- Right, but I, I mean, yes. Oh, you mean way before. I see. Some way mean. before, yes. but the most immediate before. Um, and then there are players like Moro Ojomo, I like that, didn't go to much later. But uh, Ben, no, and then uh, the guy, Zach Pickens, is another one who mm-hmm. went short, not too long before, who I thought was a possibility. Um, yep. Adabare that they went uh, a little bit before. He went at the top of the fourth round. Right, so there's – so, and, and it may be that they picked um, – Wooden instead of Roy because they even though they brought Roy in for the interview it's like oh I didn't think this guy was going to still be here yeah it's definitely possible for me my initial reaction was I'm just excited that they made an investment along the D line um, that was my initial reaction uh, when they first made the pick because they definitely need someone to eat the snaps vacated by um, Reed and by Lowry because those guys had pretty much what the second and third most snaps along the line. Of, of any player on the Packers I last think year? by a good margin. Yeah. And so they, they got to get bodies to eat those snaps. And right now it was just going to mostly be Wyatt and Slayton with no one behind them. So they needed depth there. So that was the main initial reaction was I was just glad that they were investing at that position when they picked Wooden where they did. Um, let's talk a little bit about Wooden as, the, as a prospect, though. So he did play D-tackle and edge um, while at Auburn. Uh, but it sounds like Green Bay is going to use him more so at defensive tackle. And apparently he's up to 283 pounds now and possibly looking to pack on even more weight uh, based on uh, the initial interview he did during rookie minicamp. Dad, do you want to talk a little bit about his athletic profile and how he just like physically matches up for that position? Right. So he's highly athletic. It kind of fits the profile of most of the Packers picks in the last um, five, six years where five of their seven defensive lineman picks have a, had a RAS of like almost eight, 7.96 or higher. Um, and Wooden had a RAS of 9.24. He's, you know, and, and that's 
uh, but mostly dragged down by his weight. So that's the only thing where he did poorly at. Um, I guess also the bench is a little low. Um, so he's very light as a defensive for a defensive tackle at 273 pounds. And PFF even lists him as a edge rusher. Um, and so one of the questions is, how much will his athleticism be dragged down by adding the extra pounds mm-hmm. to hold up at that position? Um, he's the second fastest defensive tackle in both the 40 and I think the 20 and 10 yard splits behind only um, Devontae Wyatt for, for, of the Green Bay defensive line draft picks. And he had the best broad jump among all of them and and probably the best combined agility score if you uh, look at both the short shuttle and the three cone. He did well at almost everything. So he was elite speed, um, great agility, um, very good broad. Did he have the um, – he didn't do the vert, so we don't know how he did that. And uh, his height is actually pretty good. And his arm length and hand size are both pretty good as well. He's got 33 and three-quarter inch arms and 10 and three-eighths inch hands. He's actually – he's got the longest arms of – oh, no. Oh, well, Kingsley Kiki's not on the, the team anymore. But Kiki had the longest arms for their drafted D-tackles in the last uh, six years. And, and Wooden's now got the longest on the team among the D-linemen with 33 and three-quarters. For for comparison, Wyatt was only 32 and five-eighths. is more than an inch longer than Wyatt's or Ford's or Slayton's. Yeah. And that arm length of three, 33 and three-quarters inches is 70th percentile for amongst defensive tackles. So definitely in that upper echelon. Yeah, so he's got a lot of nice traits um, he didn't participate in the senior bowl. So there's some, uh, like on field tracking numbers we don't have for well, him that he, he wasn't a senior. So, Oh, yes. So that, that would be why I think it's a redshirt junior. So I, I think they are technically allowed to participate if they graduate, but maybe he didn't hit those, uh, those markers, but yes. So not a senior. So not going to be in the same. Right, so we don't, so we, so so there's good reason for why, but, but we don't have those on-field uh, um, like speed measurements. We have some for uh, um, Brooks that we'll talk about later that we covered for some of the receivers um, that we talked about uh, last week. Yeah. and But overall, overall, his profile kind of fits with what they usually do. Yes. And you mentioned Kingsley Kiki. He reminds me a lot of Kingsley Kiki, which we'll talk a little bit about when we talk about our initial like thoughts on the player, because it's like, to me, it's like a player that was kind of played out of position a lot in college. They kind of played undersized a bit in college, but might be able to put on more weight. And that when given more of a full-time role in a more defined role where they're always playing in the same spot and they don't need to move up and down the line as much might be a lot more productive. And, you know, Kingsley Kiki, despite not being with the Packers and not getting a second um, contract with them, I don't think that really had anything to do with his on-field like production. Uh, and I think honestly for a fifth rounder was a very good pick. So if Colby Wooden can be a Kingsley Kiki sized impact at the fourth round, that would not be the worst thing. Um, but dad, should we talk a little bit about his production in college? Because there was a decent amount of it. There's this amount. And uh, we, we could talk uh, you know, about his versatility and his weight and, and his alignment and things. So yeah, I, I'll, his, take, I'll his, take this one. You want to do take, that? Okay. I'll take over for this one. You took the athleticism. I'll take the production on this one. So, the thing with Wooden is he was kind of used differently year to year is the first thing to know with him. So in 2020, 
when he was in his first year, I think he was a redshirt freshman. And in 2022, he was used much more along the, along the edge. In 2020, he played uh, over 60% of his snaps outside the tackle, so as like more of a true edge. And then in 2022, uh, he played close to about 50% or maybe like 45% of his snaps outside on the edge in uh, outside the tackle. So that's that's point A to keep in mind. So that is not really where he's going to be playing much for the Packers. It sounds like they're going to try and keep him more along the interior D-line based on what we've heard from both him and then from some Packers personnel based on the quotes that we've heard from them. So those corresponded with a 68.6 overall PFF grade in 2020 and a 72.1 overall PFF grade in 2022, which are both very solid. However, in 2021, he was lined up in the B-gap on 70% of his snaps. So that's between the guard and the tackle on either side. And that corresponded with his best overall grade, an 80.2 overall grade, which is bordering on elite. So for me, at least, it seems like that 2021 production is kind of what I want to look at the most when I'm looking at him, because it corresponds best to the role he's going to be playing in the NFL with the Packers. So that's not to say he was bad in those other years. I mean, he made the All-SEC freshman team in 2020 with nine and a half tackles for loss and four sacks, according to Ryan Wing of Fox 11. Um, And a lot of people were actually touting him at that time as like the guy to keep an eye on in the SEC who might end up being a first-round pick um, a couple years down the line. A lot of people were talking about him as like the next best uh, Auburn defender. Um, However, in 2022, or 2021, that is, uh, he had his career best pressure rate with 11.6%. And then he had, where is it? There we go. Seven sacks and eight hits with 26 hurries. Uh, and in 2021, he actually led SEC interior D lineman with 41 hurries, outpacing uh, Georgia defensive tackle Jalen Carter, who many people thought was the best player in this draft. And he only fell because of some off the field concerns. So you can see when he was kind of let, let, sorry, allowed to play in that interior D lineman role on a more full-time basis. He was one of the better players in the SEC, which is the highest level of competition for essentially any place in college football. When you're playing at Auburn, you're playing the Alabamas of the world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In terms of his whole career, 101 career pressures and 17 career sacks and 8.9% run stop rate for his career. Um, He did have the worst missed tackle rate of his career in 2022 at 24.1%. But his previous years were just 10% and 18.4%. Uh, right. That 10% so, was when he was playing in the interior D-line, where that, he's going to be playing with Green Bay, where he played his best football. Right. So he had his like best best tackling great, best pressure rate. Best and, everything. When he was playing inside. Exactly. And, where, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was say, and some of the things you could see, maybe we could talk about this a little bit more, I was, but he is a penetrator. Yes. Especially when he's one-on-one. He is looking, and he's got some moves, too, to uh, swim or slap and uh, get the uh, the guard out of his way to yeah. to uh, split the gap between the guard and the tackle a lot of the time um, and get in the backfield, get upfield in a hurry. Yeah, and there are definitely some things, like, watching his tape that I'm not super in love with, which we'll talk a little bit about when we talk about our initial reactions, but you can't knock the athleticism. And you can't knock the production when he was put in that interior D-line spot. Now, you can argue that maybe he's a little undersized. And when you're going against NFL-level size, that might be more difficult for him. But 
give him the opportunity to put a little bit more weight on and not have to shift up and down the line as much. And, you know, maybe he'll be able to do some more. Uh, Dad, should we move on to some of the scout quotes about him or should we talk a little bit uh, any more about the production you wanted to point out? Um, let's see. Well, while you look, I'll just say a couple of things that scouts had to say about him. Dane Brugler sure. of The Athletic had him as his 10th ranked defensive tackle, a third to fourth round grade on him. Quote, Wooden isn't consistently disruptive when rushing from the outside, but he can set the edge or reduce down where his rush skills are more effective on the interior. He offers position flexibility as a rotational base end or three technique as an NFL rookie capable of ascending to starter. And then PFF had him as their defensive tackle 22, 136th overall, so closer to like a fifth round pick. Um, so bit of a disconnect there in terms of the Athletic liking him more, with Dane Brugler liking him more, and then PFF not liking him quite as much. PFF had written, quote, He's a versatile player who's played all over the Tigers' defensive line. In 2020 and 2022, he played mostly as an edge defender. In 2021, he was mostly an interior defensive lineman and had arguably his best season, as his 41 pressures led all SEC interior defensive linemen, beating out George's Jalen Carter, like I said. At 284 pounds, Wooden projects more on the inside at the next level, but can still play some snaps along the edge. Anything while I was reading those off that you had from the production, or should we talk a little bit about what Green Bay has to say about him? Well, I think you may have covered all the things about this, like uh, pass rush win rate and some of those in the run defense grade. His, his run defense grade for being lighter um, defensive tackle is actually not bad. You know, you consider um, over his career, he's kind of playing undersized as uh, a D tackle. He's actually holding up okay. And, and some of this is my own observation, watching him, you know, um, hold up against the double team, even he's not getting penetration. He was getting double teamed a fair amount of time too. In some of the games I saw against like Penn state and Alabama and oh, somebody else, I can't remember what the other one was, but uh, so he, he and, and also setting, setting a decent edge as well against the run. Um, though he does, you see kind of different every once in a while against the, against the run, he will play off the block. So it's like hold the block and then just shed him throw him to the side when the um, running back is committed to a side. Though most of the time he is looking to kind of swim or get skinny and dive upfield. And there have been some times where he has left a gap open on the other side for the running back to go through. Well, since we're already talking about it, do you want to talk a little bit about our initial um, impressions of watching him play? Do you want to kind of expound on what you just said and talk a little bit more about that? Okay, so I'll just – I mentioned some of the things already that I was a little surprised initially that they didn't go with uh, Jaqueline. Jaqueline? I think it's <laughs> – Jaqueline, where are you at? I think it's, <laughs> it's Jaqueline, or I don't think it's Jacqueline. I think it's Jaqueline Roy. <laughs> but, yes, it is It is uh, uh, exactly the key appeal skit. Yep. Um, and that since they had him in for a visit and he was still there, they didn't pick him. But, but as I said, maybe they didn't even expect Wooden to last this long. Um, Wooden was more productive than Roy. Um, was at LSU, and was very very athletic. So you could see why they 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 could have made that that choice. I think overall, Wooden kind of walks the line between being like super athletic and also providing some production. Even mm -hmm. if uh, most of these is not elite production, he's um, in a high level conference against in the SEC. He's a lead yep. athlete, and he's giving some some decent production. And so that's something that. I think most teams will bet on. Oh, 100%. Right. And then in watching the highlights, as I mentioned, like his primary strategy is to try to shoot the gap, 
get get to the backfield, try to get the the ball carry for a loss, yeah, or to he, go after the hunt the quarterback. He's a one gap penetrator. He's not going to two gap. He's he's not eating yep. up space. He's not a space eater at all. And that yeah. was something. And, and, and I've seen I saw maybe Sorry. like one or two uh, reps where he's like locking up with the, the blocker and then trying to shut him. And then when he's double teamed. He's not really getting anything in the pass rush, though. He's not getting blown off the line either in the run, I would yeah. say, from what I saw. And one thing I was thinking about, maybe especially early in his career, he might be more of a, a pass rush specialist, mm-hmm. which wouldn't be surprising. But in some ways, even at 283 that he is now, you know, he could almost pass rush as a, like a stand-up nose, um, like Zedarius is doing. Yeah, at that at that weight, I don't know. I mean, he, he, you, it may be that you'd only trust elite players to do that. Yeah, I I don't team. know if I don't. So know I don't if expect I would, it. <laughs> I was gonna say maybe he profiles there. I don't personally see that much twitch. Like I know he is technically testing wise a better athlete than Zadarius, but I watch him play and I don't. I don't think there's something. There's some disconnect well, there. You, you know like, what it is for. Like, you know what Zadarius could do, even though he didn't test as an elite athlete. Shortest possible path to the quarterback, but also because you go Darius right through the strong one of the strongest football right. players I've ever, and so seen. that allowed him to just bull half man yeah. and go f- and take the shortest route to the quarterback. So he didn't because he's going like half as far as other players. He doesn't have to be as fast. I once heard him described as a flexible brick of muscle, and that is, <laughs> I think, the best way to describe him. For me, though, getting back to Wooden, my personal thoughts on him. I am I like the addressing the defensive line like I said. However, I am a little concerned at the type of player that they went with here, namely that I feel like they are getting a bit redundant. As you said, Wooden is kind of profile-wise in terms of his size is going to look like more of a sub-package pass rush specialist, uh or at least early and, and on also in his, his style. And style. Uh he's not really he's not a bad run defender, but he's not really that's not his specialty. Um, and he's a penetrator, like we said. He's a one-gap penetrator. I So, bit of a sub-package pass rush specialist, like I said. But that's kind of mainly what Wyatt provided last year as well, as he struggled a bit against the run, which seems to be why he didn't play much. Kind of, you can infer that based on comments by Joe Barry and his presser. Um, and then add on to that the fact that they drafted Lucas Van Ness, who you figure to have, like, be pinching in inside on obvious passing downs. And I'm not really sure where the snaps are going to be for Wooden, at least early. So I have concerns regarding the fit because I feel like he would be the worst of the three of those as a sub package, like pinching inside rusher. And they like to do that with Gary as well. So I'm not really sure where the snaps are for him on those passing downs that he would be best suited for. Um, And also, I do feel like when I watch him play, when I watch him rush, rush the passer, there are times where like... He just gets stonewalled a little too easily at times. I feel like he just gets stood up and then can't go anywhere if he doesn't win the initial engagement. He doesn't really have any kind of secondary movement at all that he does. Like if he if they get both hands on him, he's just he's just kind of moving side to side, like just looking at the quarterback. I feel like is based on he what has I a decent him. number of reps where if he doesn't win early, then nothing, not much happens. Yes, but ultimately. It is a mid-round pick on a guy who had great production at the highest level of college football. He's an elite athlete, albeit his size is smaller, and you wonder if he puts on that weight, whether or not he can maintain that athleticism. 
Um, and he's really giving me a lot of Kingsley Kiki vibes, like I said earlier. Um, and then everything you hear about him as well is that he was an excellent leader at Auburn. Um, one of their like main locker room guys, one of their main voices, and his his interviews his, are very his interviews funny. are kind of fun. He's, he's having, got a lot of he, character. He's got a lot of character, yeah. a lot of charisma. He's, he's having he's like he's he's having a good time. It's like I'm yeah. I'm happy to be here. What exactly. was the? I was he trying to find very he had like this funny great quote, quote about playing in the snow, and he had he had never played in the snow before. Oh, that's. And then he had another fun quote about um, if anyone had made any cheese related puns to him yet. Uh, and then he was like, no, but I, I, I know that they're coming. And someone said, do you think if you get a sack, they'd call it like not Colby Jack, but a Colby sack? Like, and he was like, Ooh, that's a good one. I'll have to take that and put it in the pocket or something <laughs> like that. Um, but no, so, uh, I, I have concern, not, not really concerns. It's, it is a mid round pick. I understand the, uh, bet on the production and the athleticism. I have like the tape is what it is and the size is what it is. I don't really I have questions about what his role is going to be early on, but they needed defensive linemen, and if he was the highest on their board for that, um, you just kind of take the pick there. He's already working in with the ones, which is good, so we'll see what happens. They don't exactly have a lot of depth there, so like a guy goes down, they do need someone to come in and take those snaps is the other thing. Um, but let's talk a little bit about what Green Bay has to say about him. Uh, just a couple quotes here. Uh, Wooden himself said he's going to put some more weight on to play inside, and then Patrick Moore, um, the assistant director of college scouting, uh, said Colby Wooden will be defensive tackle slash big end player for the D line. So I kind of see him in a bit of a, a a bit of the Reed slash Lowry role. I, I think more closer to the Lowry role, I would guess. Um, and then more again said, quote, I think he's definitely quick. I think he's athletic. Some guys are quick, but aren't necessarily loose athletes. And this was uh, Ryan Wood tweeted this out. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of all we really have to say about Wooden that way. Um, Dad, anything else you wanted to add on with him before we move on to Carl Brooks? Well, just a, a little bit thinking about, you know, when, whether we think it was a smart pick or not in terms of like uh, where he went and what they could have done else, you know, um, in a different direction. So he's the 12th defensive tackle taken. And well, it's either a right about on or a reach, depending on who you believe of the scouts. Yep. Um, and other players they could have had, they could have picked one of the quarterbacks before the run. Um, that then led to them getting uh, Clifford, everybody thought, a little early. Um, there are a number of quarterbacks, Dennett, Toon, Thompson Robinson, Hayner, that were all available there. John Gaines, the the guard that we liked from UCLA. Or they could have gone with uh, Howden, a safety we liked, or Abanaconda. Mm-hmm. Um, go for running back a little earlier and then wait on the D-tackle because they did have a second pick in the in the fourth round that they used on um, Clifford in the end, right? Second pick in the fifth round that they used on uh, Clifford. Clifford was the, the fifth round pick. Mm-hmm. Sorry, but they did have other they did have other picks coming up. They could have so that that was. But overall, I think it was time, yeah, to start stocking the uh, the D the D line group because they they lost like a thousand snaps yeah, or something between, from last between, year, mm-hmm. maybe more. It, it, yeah, so, it might be more up eleven hundred, twelve hundred, and sp- um, so they they needed to add multiple um, D linemen because they didn't do anything in free agency either. Yeah, and speaking of adding multiple D linemen, let's move on to Carl Brooks, who the Packers took uh, defensive tackle out of Bowling Green. He's twenty three years old. Took with pick one seventy nine in the sixth round. Uh, Dad, what was your initial reaction when they took Brooks? So let's see. We are now in the with one seventy nine. We're in one of their fifth round. Sixth. No, this is the sixth round pick. This is the one they added when one of the the trade backs. This is the sixth round pick. 
Um, yeah, so he's 23 years old from Bowling Green, from the Mac, where it's it's a group of five school. No, it's a, it is what it is. They they struggle um, they, when they there. go up against higher competition. But yeah, so but, I didn't really know too much about him when he was picked. I was expecting it, actually two or three D tackles to get picked. So I was expecting like one early in like the third or fourth round, and then maybe depending on who was there, one in the fifth, and then maybe one in the seventh. Um, in in my own uh, mock drafts. So, but I was expecting you know a player that I was thinking they'd take around here, and who I was off thinking was like uh, Moro Jomo from Texas, who was younger at twenty one point seven instead of twenty three years old, and much more athletic. Um, and longer arms. Um, so he's nine one six rounds versus five eight seven, but not nearly as productive as yeah. as Brooks, who was just crazy, crazy productive. Crazy so productive. there's, so some of it is I was not surprised by you know the position again because they they need multiple players to fill. They lost two, and so now they've only added two. Um. Though maybe a, a surprised by who it was. Did you have any thoughts? Yeah, my initial, Your initial reaction. Was, my initial reaction was this is the classic Packers double up strategy. You just take a couple players at the same position in need, like they did with receiver a long time ago when uh, they hit the yeah. EQ MVS Jamon Moore triple. Uh, when and, they and did it with running the, backs with Aaron right. Jones, Jamal Williams, Devontae Mays. I mean, they do this all the time. They've done it with linemen multiple years, like three linemen in a. Yep. It, like two or three years in a row. This is the classic multiple swings of the bat at the same and, position. You know, it's interesting to say that because I had not only are they you know multiple swings in the same position, but almost identical kinds of players. Yeah, in terms of pass rush, pass rush specialists, pass the rush receivers specialists. were all like bigger, longer, long striders. It's true. Yeah. So these these two D tackles are they're both D tackles and they play in the same way. Yes, and let's talk a little bit about. They they play similarly, but they also but, don't because one of I would them is say, not the best but, athlete, and his name. Is I would Carl say Brooks. the things they have in common is they're they're mostly pass rushers, and so they they like to to um, try to gap penetrate. And there was one other thing I was going to compare him to. Well, anyway, however, oh, and then multiple alignment, you know, on the edge. And interior, so they 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 both kind of check both of those boxes. Yes. However, yeah. If you talk look at the physical about, profiles, talk a little bit about the physical profile because this is where the concerns for Brooks are: are the lack of like high level competition, and then the physical testing was not the athletic testing was not great. Right. So his RAS is only five point eight seven. If you compare that to other um, D tackles that the the Packers have drafted is he would be the second worst athlete on the team ahead of only Jonathan Ford of their oh. draftees at three point. Like, so I was Ford's, like, who is worse than that? Oh, Jonathan Ford's is 3.62. No, I remember he's just big. He got all and, of his rasp it, from being big. Right. And, and Brooks is 5.8. So Brooks is still above average. He's just not an elite athlete. Um, he has. So the things that kind of drag him down, he has the worst vertical of all of the D tackles they've drafted, even worse than than Ford, who outweighs him by thirty pounds. I want to note. Actually, go ahead. No, just go ahead. And and he's got the tied for uh, with Ford for the worst shuttle, and has the second worst twenty and ten yard splits, all to Jonathan Ford, who is a, a nose. 
which is yeah. kind of a different position and a different athletic profile that they have not yet separated out. Um, but really, you're looking for very different kinds of body types and testing um, for a real run-stuffing nose versus a pass-rushing end. Yeah, it's separated on mock draftable for their spider charts, but it is not separated on RAS. You are correct. But yeah, the the I will say, though, in Carl Brooks's defense... I feel like when I watch him play, he does not look like that bad of an athlete. I know he doesn't look like a no. crazy and, and it's athlete, not. But... I mean, it's not. A, he's still, as an athlete, he's way better than Ford by, you know, 20 percentage points. At least a leap and half a bound. Like. <laughs> right. Um, but, well, he's, yeah. but, but everybody else besides, besides Ford, their, their RAS is in, like, the 80s or 90s. And... Um, Brooks is yeah. in the fifties. Yeah, and but the the allure with Brooks though is not with his athleticism. It is definitely with his tape and his production. And we'll talk a little bit about his production now. Unless you have anything else you wanted to add on the athleticism side. Well, I also looked. Um, so he did did go to the Senior Bowl, so they had some speed measurements on him. And over is so, and I've separated out of my position over the last six years. Were they doing measurements and? He's still in like the bottom third in most of the speed metrics, except for uh, maximum deceleration. Um, that yeah. that's the one thing he was above average in. Um, oh, and I, don't I still know if you need to. But he is six three three hundred pounds. Right. Yeah, they had him at three six three three oh three. Oh, and he's got short arms. Ah, at yes. thirty one and a half inches is the shortest arms of any of their their draftees over the last it's, six years. He's just built like Kalijah Kansi, but not an elite athlete. It's fine. It's whatever. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. Um, and he let's... was more productive, uh, at least in a yeah. pass rush, than uh, than than Kansi. And let's talk a little bit about that production. So one thing to keep in mind is he did line up a lot at edge rusher outside of the tackle, like a lot for a 300-pounder at least. Uh, especially yeah, so in his 300, 300-pound edge rusher. Yeah, at least especially in his last two years of college. So he's kind of a weird player to evaluate because you're pretty much never, ever – like a, not just a, a stand-up edge rusher at 300 pounds. Right. You're never going to see that in the NFL. It's a weird little like quirky thing that they did at Bowling Green because he was – easily their best player by a mile uh i mean he was what i think i remember reading he's a five-year or four-year starter at Bowling five year Green five year starter he, and he's led he's, the he, team in sacks every single year he was there which is just or at least no or led the team in sacks four of the five years he was there which is just it, insane he, he he may have led them and maybe his pressures or something for five straight years but yeah very he, he's been kind of the man on their defense for a while yeah, and the thing is, he really lined up at edge a lot, like either over the tackle, um, so in more of a four, like a four, four I, uh, and then outside the tackle, pretty much at a 50-50 split his last two years in college. Um, so only 8% of his snaps were in the A or B gaps where he'll presumably be playing at, at Green Bay. So that's kind of some things like, can he translate to the interior? That is definitely a question. He has like the build that you would think so, um, but it's definitely a question because he didn't really do it as much in college. I mean, you um, you want to look at him out, out of the field, and he looks like a D tackle. He's built like a D tackle. He's built yes. like a D tackle. He's a big, thick guy. But he brushes out of the two point stance a bunch, and like rushes over the over the tackle a lot. So it's it, that's it's just something to keep in mind that his alignment in college is not going to be the same as his alignment in the pros. Then, however, this is a guy who just. 
he he played against not the highest level of competition, but he dominated that competition. He was the highest graded edge rusher in 2022 at any level, right? Right. Wasn't so it? that yeah. that's that's all of the edge rushers last year in the NCAA. And he had he was their highest rated edge rusher. And then I looked. So let's look at the whole front seven. Because is he a D? Mm-hmm. Is he a D tackle or is he? Oh, a, that's what this says. An okay. Edge rusher. And so then I looked at the D tackle to see is there anybody is an interior D lineman in PFF who has a higher grade? And there's one, and that's Dante Corleone from Cincinnati, who is coming out in another year or two. Yeah. Um, but he Fourth- so he is the only one who had a better. Um, defensive grade among all of the um defensive front players yes he had four straight seasons with an 80 plus pff pass rush grade which is crazy 160 career pressures with 30 career sacks a career pressure rate of 14 percent up to 17.9 percent in final year um and a pass rush win rate of 23.8% in his last year, which is insane, insane. So he's beating his man one out of four times, which is wild. Not as good against the run uh, until his last year. Um, uh, 69 career run stops for a stop rate of uh, 5.4%, um, but up to 8.5% in his final year. So he did get better against the run in his last year, which is good to know. Yeah, And his overall run grade for his last year was elite. Before that, he had like three of the four years were pretty good. Um, you know, in, in the green, as it were, in the 70s. And then, but his overall run defense in his last year was 90%. Well, the 90.3 grade, I should say. Um, though he still had, kind of similar to uh, um, Colby Wooden, like final year um, missed tackle rate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, jumped up. It did it's jump just, up. They're just True. preparing for their to future for the, with the Packers. I was say, to play for the Packers? <laughs> hey, two years ago, we were good tacklers. Excuse the me. Packers are, Packers are looking at those guys like, that's our guy. That's, hey, I could see him in <laughs> I, I like the cut of his chiplets. Um, <laughs> but uh, it is true. People have bemoaned the fact that how can we expect them to get better tackling? It's like, well, they did ago, it. Just two years ago, they were like a top three Remember the all this thing we heard in like training camp stuff about Joe Barry Showing them to tackle, like diving on the donut and showing them how to tackle. Yep, it's true. He needed to do um, that again last year. Yeah, that's exactly. That's just just do that every year, and we'll figure it out eventually. Um, he did feast on lower competition in the MAC, like we said. He was not as impactful against higher competition, like UCLA or Mississippi State. Didn't have any sacks in either of those games, um, but did get five pressures and twenty nine pass rushes against UCLA. So that's essentially uh what one in six that's around yeah uh, so that's that's a good, that's pretty good it's like that's a 17 16 percent win rate um that's actually quite quite good and but the mississippi state he had zero um pressures but, yeah, but you were saying he got i watched the tape right? and they're like they got two or three guys on him and yeah. he's just i like, mean he's, that's <laughs> what happens when you're playing against a good team and you're clearly the best player it's like okay we can block these other four guys with three dudes and we're just going to focus all our attention on this one guy who's right. going to the league. We only need, like, we only need three guys to, to to block your four teammates. Yeah. It's like this this guy's going to the league. These other three guys are not. Like, that's kind of how it went. Um, but so, and he did force six fumbles and batted four balls for his career. Um, I thought he, watching his reps at the Senior Bowl that he generally won a lot of those reps. Um, I know he didn't, like, like his speed testing at the Senior Bowl was whatever in terms of on, on-field speed. But I thought in his one-on-ones – 
I thought he was beating all the guys they put against him. He might have lost a rep I watched, but I thought yeah, he so was he won most of those guys. And also, if I'm remembering correctly, in like sort of the 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 eleven and elevens, he was doing very well rushing yeah. from the inside in those. Yeah, and I'm I I thought he was, I mean, pardon pardon, I thought he was kicking ass out there. But anyway, so tons of production. Um, like we said, just pressures on pressures on pressures. A hundred a hundred and sixty career pressures is crazy banana pants crazy and you just watch him and he's so much fun to watch i mean he's such a weird player because you don't see 300 pounds stand-up edge rushers and he's not going to be that in the nfl but it's just he's really fun to watch and to get a player that dominated in college in the sixth round is really exciting um some scout quotes from for him uh dane brugler of the athletic had him as defensive tackle 16 with a fifth round grade uh, quote, Brooks has a unique package of tools, which creates questions about his ideal position fit, but he has the light feet and urgent hands to be a gap disruptor. He projects best as a three technique who can be flexed up and down the line. And then Lance Zierlein of The Athletic, quote, Brooks's snap quickness, footwork, hand usage, and motor are all translatable play qualities. That's the other thing. You listen to any scout talk about him, and they all talk about how his motor is off the charts. Like, he is going 100% all the time. Uh, let me continue that quote, though. Quote, his movement encounters are intuitive, allowing for quick access into the backfield. Against the pass, he frequently beat tackles as a bull rusher off the edge. Brooks has the size of a three technique, but the versatility and athleticism to move around a defensive front. He flashes disruptive three down talent as a future starter in a one gap scheme. And then PFF had him as defensive tackle 16 and 99th overall on their entire big board. So something to keep in mind is general thoughts on him from the scouting community are he's super skilled. Number one, really good with his hands, really good pass rush plan, variety of moves. And the question is just athleticism and level of competition. And the athleticism questions kind of, if we want to just get into our thoughts, I'll, I'll start. It kind of almost gives me an Igbare vibes where I watch him play football and I'm like, this guy is insane. And then the athleticism testing is, shoot, is that is he going to be able to do that against NFL players? And Enigbare was able to. The difference yeah. is Enigbare played against he was, like ACC level, SEC level, right. uh, SEC level. He competition. was playing a, at a much higher level when you saw him win. Yeah. So then you have fewer questions about how what what he's winning against. Exactly, and then Carl Brooks obviously is playing a Bowling Green, playing in the MAC. But the MAC does send players to the NFL. I, I've hearing a lot of MAC slander. I mean, Western Michigan sends guys all the time. Um, uh, Cody Mock this year, offensive lineman, was out of the out of the MAC. He went in the no. second round, wasn't he? Cody That's Mock? not the Mac. He was at uh, North Dakota State. Mm, I am not so sure about that one. Cody Mock. Oh no, you're right. Cody Mock did go to North Dakota State. There was another player that um, was from the Mac that was an offensive lineman then. Um, but anyway, players get sent to the to the league from the Mac all the time. Out of Western Michigan, out of. Uh, Bowling Green, there's another big uh, school there as well. Um, Central Michigan was the one I was thinking of. Um, players get sent from Central Michigan all the time. Um, East uh, University of oh, Buffalo sent players. That Northern Illinois sent players. Jake Witt. Where did he go? That was Witt. Okay, Witt was the Central Michigan one, I think, was the one I was thinking of. he tested very well in his um, pro day as an elite athlete, as an offensive tackle. Um, and I don't remember where he got drafted. That was somebody I was thinking the Packers could get as a late round flyer. I know he was Northern Michigan. That's oh, Northern but anyway. Michigan. 
directional There's Michigan. There's a lot of, Mich- lot of Michigan schools. But anyway, MAC is not the best competition, but it is still D1. The things that I felt for um, Brooks, though, is I'm honestly more excited about him than Wooden. Um, yes, he isn't a great athlete. Like I said, similar ideas as Enigbari. And like I said, just really just fun to watch. Uh, I'm not sure how it's going to translate to the NFL, but it's a sixth-round pick, and I'm fine with taking that bet on a guy who crushed every single time he stepped on the football field, even if it wasn't against. I think he's going to be a guy who just kills everyone in preseason. I think he is going to step onto a preseason, like step in the preseason and just ball out and just kill everyone on the field in preseason. The question is, if he goes against like real high level NFL level talent, is that going to happen at all? Maybe not. But at least in preseason, I don't think they're going to be able to block him. I am very interested to hear when things start coming out of training camp, when these, the one-on-ones, the mm. pass rush one-on-ones in practices, how he's doing against the... I, uh, I almost just gave a player on the roster an unnecessary drive-by, and I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it. Um, <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll, we'll hold back on that. But anyway, do you want to talk a little bit about what you thought about him? Okay, so my 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 initial thoughts were um, his tape looks really great and against lower competition, so he's really able to penetrate and then close on the QB quickly when he gets close. So he's he's got his, his ability to convert pressure to for a guy that is not an elite athlete, he's closing to the quarterback pretty quick. Yeah, he closes and 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 uh, converts pressures to sacks at a at a decent uh, clip as well. I think my main concern is is he going to end up being like Shamar John Charles? Where here's a guy who looked great against lower competition, didn't test well, and hasn't been able to see the field. That's I think the floor. That's the that's the downside for his profile. Now, here's some arguments against that. John Charles PFF grades were good there, but they're in the low 80s as opposed to in the 90s, like Brooks, where it's uh, you know elite elite grade. And his RAS was even worse, where he was like. 42, so below average, 4.24, as opposed to Brooks, who is slightly above average at 587. Can, can I push back a little, though? I, I think I, there is. Are you going to push back against my pushback? Are you I, think, <laughs> I think there is a. I just. The comparison. I think there is a higher bar of like football knowledge required to play corner than there is D tackle. I think there is a higher like football acumen needed to play corner in terms of understanding coverages. Defensive tackle, if they can't understand, like, like I'm not saying this is an issue for Brooks, but hypothetically, if th- there's not the same bar, because at the end of the day, go beat the guy in front of you. Like, that's all yeah. you have to do. But I think the, my guess, the main thing for uh, John Charles, for example, is he just doesn't have, like, the foot speed to keep up. And even with John Charles, and, I and, thought, and his, when healthy, and his agility is uh, not Even that John good. Charles, though, when healthy, I thought looked pretty good this year, my opinion. But he just has. I but, feel like he hasn't got much opportunity. Different positions. I just don't oh, think yeah. you can really. It's compare. more about uh, the the vibe you get. Okay. All right. That's all. And though I think he's, but there are some aspects of his profile that don't perfectly mirror um, what John Charles was as a as a corner. Um, one thing that's interesting is in terms of my thoughts. So they've got two um, defensive linemen picks. It's interesting that they did not pick up a run stuffer. Yeah, they did not get a big run stuffing um, D lineman, even as a flyer in the seventh round with the third one. Yeah, um, they went for two kind of gap penetrating edge rushers. 
Three of um, their five t- top defensive linemen project to not be good at defending the run. In terms of hooray. like why why it why it Wooden and Brooks are not currently plus run defenders, like it is what it is. Why it's not that bad? He wasn't that good last year. There's a reason he didn't play was because they didn't feel like he could defend the run. Is pretty much what Joe Barry said. Oh well, he graded in better not, than Kenny last year. In not so many, yeah, but we've seen Kenny do it. Kenny had a bad year yeah. last year. He did, but have a in, year. in not so many words. But Barry essentially said that the reason why it didn't play is because he needs to improve against the run, in not in not so many words. Yeah. So, but they so they, but one thing they did that are a little different is that I picked the kind of the highly productive small school guy and paired him with a very athletic SEC guy, but both who was also productive, um, who to was be fair. To be productive, fair. not not as productive, but productive. No. It's hard to be as productive as Brooks was. No, goodness. he was the most productive in the, I think for the. Um, tackle in the country yeah and the, the packers are clearly excited about him as well um director of football operations milt hendrickson this is from packers wire um quote what he was able to display even against the mac you turn on the tape and he was a man amongst boys when you see players from non-power five or fcs schools you want to see them dominate and you can put on the tape and see that kid dominate for stretches end quote so yeah that's the thing is like yes he played against worse competition but he kicked their ass so it's like all right fair enough he did what you want him to. Yeah, he did what you you want somebody to do. Kind of like Tucker Craft running oh. over tacklers. You and in, me, same uh, page. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, lead athlete make make the players on the other team look like children. Exactly. Is there anything else you wanted to, to add for Brooks um, before we kind of talk? So a, in you terms talk of a little bit about pick value. Yeah. So in terms of where he was taken, he was the fifteenth defensive tackle overall. Um, and, and that's counting Colby Wooden as a defensive tackle when they were listing him as a defensive, defensive end on some sites. Um, and the, the, the next D tackles taken were not all that inspiring to me. I mean, some of the ones that were the next four, I was like, yeah, I'm not that interested. Some of the later ones like, uh, um, Nate Jade Silvera and Moro Ajomo, who were taken, I think in both in the seventh round were sound a little more interesting, but they could have gone to the other positions like, um, um, Jail Skinner, if they wanted to get another safety, yeah, or he get safety obvious, earlier. Or, sorry, he had he had injury concerns though. Is is the thing he had him. the torn pec, so he couldn't work out, and I don't know what other injuries he had. Um, or Luke Whipler, center from Ohio State, if they wanted some center competition, he was kind of yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. And then other receivers, like At Perry, yep, who lasted all the way into the sixth round, would have been a you know another pick. I would have also yep. been happy with. They I mean, had already taken two receivers at this point. Was, yes, is but they did thing. end up taking a third. This is true. Yeah, and um, they could have taken, like you said, Xavier Hutchinson was also there, it looks like you said, and Andre Yoshevas out of Princeton was also there. Yeah, so there are a couple of receivers that were intriguing athletic profiles um, and productive players yeah. who were there if if they, um, if wanted, they wanted to go, to go another position. But another, I think D-tackle right, and then, was— And then get a D, So it would have to be you get a different D-tackle later. Yeah, because they, they did would definitely need, need another one. Like, yeah, exactly. They needed another defensive tackle. But I think overall, just looking at these two players, I like the bets on production. I understand them. I like doubling up at defensive tackle. And I'm excited to see what they can do. I'm a little more excited for Brooks. I think he might take a little more time. But I'm I just watching him play is very exciting. And I think he's going to... I think he's going to be really fun to watch player in preseason, if nothing else. And then Wooden's already getting some reps with the ones with some players not being there. And then also with just 
just not having many players for those snaps. So I yeah, think it's really I actually, exciting. I actually think we're going to see both of them play a decent amount because of the number of players we have at the position. Yeah, we're going to see, I think, this whole draft class play a lot this year because this is a really young team. It's one of the youngest teams in the league. They only have three players who are over 30 years old. Like, yeah. the, the rookies I mean, are going to play. They have converted a lot of their roster in the last two years to younger players. Um, yeah. They've completely remade the receiver room, as in yep. no one's left from just two years ago. No one's and, left. And yeah, and it, it's it's an exciting time to be a Packers fan with all these and, young and players. And the defensive line, defensive line has been remade in the last couple of years yep. as it's well. It's just Kenny left pretty much. Yep. Um, linebacker room's all different. Safety room's going to be really different. Um, O-line's going to be think, probably the thing that's the most similar. Right. Though they've, they've had a bunch of new players, but they have, I think, a lot of preferred starters at many positions still around. Yes. And I think that's going to be the thing. Is this going to be a year that there's going to be times where it's really frustrating and there's going to be times where it's really exciting? But I think overall, we just got to be focused on development and youth this year. And more than anything, just kind of getting everyone on the same page and growing together. But thank you so much for listening to this breakdown of OTAs and Colby Wooden and Carl Brooks. We really appreciate you coming and listening. And if you like what you heard, like we said earlier, come give us a follow on Twitter at FatherSonPacker. Come subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. It would really help our numbers. We're going to be doing episodes breaking down the rest of the draft class in the coming weeks. Still got to talk about Clifford, Carlson, Valentine, Nichols, Johnson, and DeBose. So all those guys to come. And then we're going to talk about any other news coming across the, the desk, any new signings, uh, any new OTA news, et cetera, et cetera. So come listen for that. Come give us a follow on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. <laughs>